Man, you believe that today? We'll be saying Christ, our hope in life and death. You believe that today? It's essential to what we do in this space and just in life as a follower of Jesus that Christ is truly our hope in life and in death, not just in death, but in life today. Our true and only satisfying, all-encompassing hope is found in Jesus. And if you're new today, uh, my prayer is that you recognize that in this space, that you know that, you hear that, and um, that's represented well here. If you're new, my name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just great to have you. And uh, we're excited that you're with us uh, to just worship for an hour and um, spend a little time in God's Word together and singing. Um, before we dive in, if you want to, uh, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as I'm talking for a moment, but I want to take a moment just before we started and present something before you. Um, man, um, one of the goals of the church is not just to have our eyes fixated on what God's doing here in Metro Detroit, but also in what God's doing around the world globally. And uh, man, Pastor Chris was actually just in Africa, one of our partners. Um, you knew just back uh, a couple of months ago, myself and my daughter and two other dads and daughters went to Nepal to see what God was doing there and to support them, pray for them, love on them. Um, and, and to see what God's doing in, in preventing and helping prevent and restoring girls out of human trafficking. And our eyes always want to, I always want to help our congregation and our families. And for me personally, the next generation, that's why I took my daughter with me, to see that God is bigger than what he's doing here. He's doing stuff all over the world. And he's a God who loves the, genera- or the, the, the world, not just where we live. Amen. That like God is a a God of the world and he created all people. And so it's amazing to be able to be a part of that as a church. And you've heard me many times say, hey man, have you prayed about going on a a, a missions trip and prayed about what that looks like? And oftentimes the task seems daunting. And so I'm presenting to you today, in June actually, we're sending, uh, I believe, 14 people, kids and adults to Costa Rica uh, to provide compassion and and care and building actually a small home uh, for a family in need there. And We have a missions partner there uh, that is actually uh, using this as more of an outreach. You've heard me before. uh, Oftentimes we do good deeds. Like yesterday we were serving people in summer or spring serve. And always the point is not just to be empathetic and to serve people, but it's always to build bridges of love that can sustain the weight of the gospel. And so this is kind of the same as a group's going in June, and uh, they want to help the missions team there build a bridge of love that can sustain the weight of the gospel. And... um, Man, there's going to be all kinds of ages. I think kids even eight years old are going to be there just with their families. What an amazing thing to do. And to send a family, uh, uh, to take your whole family on a trip like this can be, seem really overwhelming. It's not cheap. Uh, it costs quite a bit for you to take your family. So I want to take a moment today and just present maybe with you a way that you can partner with them as our family here. All of the families are from this community in Lake Orion at our campus. And so I wanted to ask you to consider helping them. So if you would, if you would want to, in their seat back, there's actually a little card there with a QR code. And in my heart, I asked Pastor Alex if I could do this. Pastor Alex, who was just up here leading communion, his whole family and many other families are going. I asked him if I could present it to you guys and ask to help support them financially and if you can't, even in prayer. And I firmly believe that even just today across two of our campuses, we can fully support them and fund them. I strongly believe in this as, uh, man, 
Showing our kids what it looks like to serve the least of these in other places will radically change the trajectory of their life. And so I want to present it to you. Man, if you are willing to do that, even $10, $20, $100, whatever, in the seat back, you can see information there on how to give to them. Or if you want to write a check, you can do that as well and just make it up to Woodside Bible Church and put in the, the lining uh, L-O Costa Rica, the sense for Lake Orion Costa Rica. And um, man, let's support them. If you can't, that's totally cool. Uh, no pressure, please. Ev- anytime, there's no pressure ever from the platform here. If maybe just pray for them. Commit in June. You'll hear more about it as they leave. Commit to pray for kids. Imagine being eight years old, 10 years old, a teenager, and you go and you see what God is doing in other places and it radically impacts their life and their trajectory. So at a bare minimum, let's pray over them as God uh, moves in their hearts and their lives. But I'd love to see us as a church be able to fully support them and the daunting task that God has presented before them. Cool? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Today is the day where we are landing the plane on the Apostles' Creed sermon series. We've been going at that for, I, I think, six, seven, eight weeks in the past last week. I mean, I just want to say it was just powerful to see people respond to the idea of forgiveness, that God's forgiveness is all-encompassing. There is therefore now, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ and to see people receive that physically, like actually in this space and release things to God was pretty amazing uh, for me to see. And today we come to the, the last part of the Apostles' Creed, the last statement where it says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And you might have noticed it just in the songs that we're singing, that there's a, a fundamental, essential part of what we believe as followers of Jesus is that this isn't it. This isn't the end here on earth. That there will come a day when we rise from the grave following in the footsteps of Jesus and our body is literally resurrected. So let us present you with the question, have you thought much about it? What happens after we die? Have you put much thought into that, like what that looks like? I'm sure as a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're like, yeah, we go to heaven. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, Jim. <laughs> but have you, have you thought much about what that looks like? And that's a, maybe a whole different sermon in, in essence, right? But it seems as though oftentimes we, we use a phrase even pass beyond the veil because there's this kind of veil that we don't have a ton of information exactly what that looks like, but we have information. So people many times are confused as to what happens, what doesn't happen after we die. And man, there's all kinds of cultural intrigue about what this looks like. And, and there's a bunch of different fads. And I am saying nothing about the reality of this or negativity. I'm just saying that this stuff happens. Right? There, there, there's books that have been written of people saying that they've died, they've experienced afterlife, and then they've come back and they're recounting their experiences. You might have heard books like Heaven is for Real. Right? I'm not saying anything about it. I'm just saying that there seems to be this intrigue. Then dozens of other books with similar um, topics, right? Maybe you've seen an NBC TV show called The Good Place. Or even there's a, a movie by Disney called Soul. That there seems to be a very popular intrigue in large part because, uh, man, it's instinctive to be interested in what happens after we die. Like, what does that look like? We all want to know because uh, many people are really ignorant as to what happens. And they all know that no matter how much good facial cream we have, no matter how good you eat or how, how much you work out, we're all going to die. And you're like, man, this is such an encouraging sermon, Jim. I am glad I made it today. 
I'm leaving just pumped up and ready to go, right? Well, no, it's just, man, if, I, if we didn't talk about these things in the church, we would fail you. Because this is, in essence, um, the, the point in which Christ came in the gospel, right? And so this last part of the creed speaks to the final state, right? We began at the beginning with creation when it said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And now here at the end, at this landing place, uh, right, as we look now and see, and I want to confess, you before you, confess before you that the resurrection is coming. That's what I want you to know today. The resurrection is coming. Now, what it looks like for different people is different, right? There's coming a day when our bodies will be raised into everlasting life, right? For those who, who do not believe in Jesus, I'm just, this is my job. This is what the Bible says. Those who don't believe, they will be raised into judgment. Like, they will be judged before the Lord, right? But those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus will be raised to newness of life, Right? Our bodies will be regenerated. We'll be raised to eternal life. Uh, John chapter 5 speaks to this when Jesus himself says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. It's kind of reminiscent of the story of Lazarus when he says, Lazarus, come out. They're going to hear his voice in verse 29 and come out. Those who have not done good to the resurrection, uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have not, or those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And when you look at the broader context of John chapter 5, he's not saying those who did a lot of good deeds, they get resurrected to, a, to, to life, and those who didn't do enough goods to, to judgment. No, the whole point of the context there is those who have placed their faith in, in Christ alone. That's it, right? Jesus says, resurrection is coming. The hour is coming when the dead in Christ will be raised out of their graves. This seems crazy, but it's going to happen. And those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ will be raised to life, right? And so today, we're going to actually look to that fact in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the text that we've chosen. And so just to touch on, on 1 Thessalonians, as the Apostle Paul is writing, this is a church in, in a city called Thessalonica. And the Apostle Paul actually helped plant this church, and now he's writing a letter to this church, as he often did, writing back to the church in order to address some stuff. He wants to address many different things and some further concerns, and one of them is what happens after we die. It seems that there's questions in the church about what that looks like, and so he wants to give some further um, instruction as to what that looks like. And today, my hope is the same that I can give you all and those of you joining online some hope in the fact that in Christ, resurrection is coming and what that really looks like. So how should we respond to the truth of some future resurrection? We talked about it not, not long ago, right? In this series, that Christ rose victoriously on Easter Sunday. This is what we celebrate, right? And now we live in this in-between state when one day there will be a resurrection of all of all, all humanity. doesn't matter. All humanity. One resurrection to life, another to the resurrection of judgment. So, um, man, how do we respond to this future resurrection? Uh, the first thing is we grieve with hope. So look with me. In verse 13 and verse 14, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Brothers, don't be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Verse 14. 
For since we believe, this is essential, we believe this, that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the first thing I say is, how do we respond to a future resurrection that's in Christ as we grieve with hope, right? The problem with, with, the, with the Thessalonian believers is they're uninformed or they're ignorant as to like what the future looks like about, it says in the text, about those who are asleep. Now, asleep, we'll look at this a little bit further at the end of the message, is a reference to being dead. So they're not saying that they're taking a nap. Like we're ignorant, like, hey, are they going to wake up? No, these who have passed away right? More specifically, asleep, they're, they're describing Christians, really specifically, who have died. And he say, amen, you're uninformed or you're ignorant about what's going to happen with Christians who have now died. And, and he says, man, I want you to know what, what the deal is. I don't want you to know how this happens, right? And we don't, and, and the point is, if you look in the text, he's like, man, you shouldn't be grieving as those who are non-believers. He says, man, we don't, as believers, grieve as those who have no hope. See, Paul's logic is that, man, we are believers in Jesus, and we know Christ rose from the grave, and therefore we have hope even in death. We have a hope beyond death. So why, he's saying, Thessalonians, he's right, he says, man, why are you grieving as those who have no hope? Why are you grieving as people who don't have hope in Jesus, right? He says, it shouldn't be the case right? I'll explain it to you this way. It's kind of funny. Maybe you felt this way as well. If you've lived at Michigan most of your life, I guarantee you feel this way. And if you don't, you just haven't progressed in your sanctification. It's fine, right? It's kind of like for me experiencing wintertime in Michigan. Does anybody love wintertime in Michigan? Okay, cool. <laughs> People won't talk in church when I talk about Bible stuff, but when I talk about winter in Michigan, they're like, no, Right? No, I, I mean, I do know people that like, I enjoy some of it, but really this is kind of how I feel. There's two types of winters in Michigan, right? There's a Michigan winter where uh, I have a vacation plan to a beautiful, warm, more glorified state, right? In February, March, when you're going to escape the, what we experience in Michigan, right? <laughs> and then there's Michigan winters where I do not have anything planned to escape this place and go to somewhere warmer, right? And that's the difference for me. There's two types of winter experiences, right? In one, my first, I have hope. Man, I look forward to the day, even though it's a cold, dark, bitter, painful January days pass very slowly. The sun doesn't come out for months. Man, I have hope because, right, I know pretty soon, not too long from now, I'm going to get on a plane or I'm at least going to drive whatever I need to do to get out of here to go to a warmer place. And I'm going to soak up all of the sun, natural light as possible, and I'm going to leave, come home, be like, I can make it through the rest of this. We can do this. Right? But the second one, man... It's the second type of winter where you have no hope. There's no vacation, no sunshine, no swimsuit. There's no, no, no looking forward to anything on the horizon. It's just dark, cold, and sad, taking vitamin D and these, these happy lights that we use, uh, which really, to me, I've tried. They don't work for me anyways. I mean, they might give me vitamin D, but I just, it doesn't make me happy, right? See, this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. He's saying, man, like Jim, right, when he has something to look forward to in, in February and March, we as followers of Jesus are not those who have no hope in February and March. We have a hope that we're looking forward to. 
Man, I, I can just tell you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have a hope, and it actually should impact the way that you grieve. Because we don't grieve as those who have no hope. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, something very similar. For you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Man, I said, this isn't the end. This isn't how it ends. The hope is that, man, one day we will be resurrected with Christ. Man, my wintertime experience hope is based on, a, on, a, on an airplane ticket and reservations, right? It's insignificant. It's stupid. Man, Christian hope is based on something altogether different. Our hope is, is built on and beyond death, and it's rooted in the belief that Jesus died and he rose again victoriously. And one day, right, Jesus is going to bring all of us who have fallen asleep, all the people in the past, your loved ones that, you're gonna, that are in Christ, is going to bring them with him. You see, Paul is pointing to the truth that, man, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we're united in Christ. And this is, this is essential in, in what we believe as Christians. We are united in Christ. This isn't a general uniting he's speaking. This isn't generally. This is very specific in the death and the resurrection of Christ. We're united with him. So when Christ, death, he died on the cross, it counts for us. And his resurrection, it actually guarantees that one day there'll be a future resurrection that we get to be a part of. See, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans as well, in chapter 6, in verse 4 and 5, he says, we are buried therefore with him in order that. In order what? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly, not maybe, not a hopefully, not a guess, but we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Man, our hope is not flimsy like hoping the lions have a good year this year. That is vain and empty. Hopefully you've learned that by now. Man, our hope is a certainty that Jesus, his grave is empty. And now we, because he rose from the dead, now we have a hope in the future. So, man, yeah, we grieve. I'll speak to this in a moment. Last year was a tough year. Yeah, we grieve when our brothers and our sisters and our family members and our loved ones pass from this life into eternity. Man, we certainly grieve. And we grieve the brokenness of their bodies. It's really challenging to watch family members, loved ones, friends, people you know just deteriorate, right? We grieve their experience mentally and physically. We grieve for ourselves because, man, we miss them. Man, there's this vein of Christianity that needs to be squashed, this stoic unemotionalness. That, man, we need to be as unemotional as possible, right, in life and in death. And, man, that way we push away all of our feelings. And when we walk through troubles in life, we show no emotions. Can I just tell you, you can deal with your emotions now or you will deal with them in some other way later. God created you as an emotional being. Jesus, when his good friend Lazarus is, is dead in a grave, he said one of the few times in the scriptures, he said that he wept. 
Can I tell you, weeping is not a few tears going on. Weeping. Why? Because Jesus knows this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he has emotions as a human being. And the Apostle Paul is not saying we don't grieve. He's saying don't grieve as those who have no hope. Christian, today, we have a hope and his name is Jesus. And because of that hope, man, we grieve as those who have hope. And I'll just press on us again and again in this passage throughout the morning we have together. I just want to press on us. This should compel us. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where, I'll say it this way, I, get to, I, I have the privilege of doing a lot of funerals as a pastor. And when you enter into a space when people have no hope, they don't know where their family members, what's, that is a, a sad and hard place. What that should do to you as a follower of Jesus, it should drive you to share the gospel with every person you have because you have the hope of Jesus. You have it, right? Well, if you look, how does the future of our resurrection impact us? Well, it calls us to anticipate Christ's return. Look with me in verse 15, yes. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, if there's anybody living, whoever they are, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, man, he's calling to anticipate it, anticipate the, the return of Christ. It becomes more and more clear when you read kind of maybe what the ignorance was about of those who are in Thessalonica. It seems that the believers there began to believe that only Christians who would be resurrected were those who were alive when Christ returns. That's, that's what maybe their confusion was, is that every Christian who was alive at the time, those people would resurrect it with Christ. But he's saying, no, the dead in Christ will rise actually First, and then he says in verse 15, we who are alive when Christ returns will not precede those. Like, they'll go before us. Those who have fallen asleep, we're not going to go before them. Instead, again, the, those in Christ will rise first. Then, he says, when we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, so we will always be with the Lord. Now, I'll just say this. If you've been around church for a long time or in cultures where you're discussing and arguing about theology, there's a lot in this text, in this passage, where theologians have debated uh, for eons amongst um, the timing of related events in what order they go in, right? And there's a lot of debate, whether, you know, the, the rapture and what happens, is it real, is it not real? What, you know, all this different stuff in, in verse 17. And these are important debates to have. These are important things to be instructed in and, and know as much as we can about theology. You can say, like, I don't care about theology. Well, th theology is the study and knowing of God, so you might want to be um, about it or doctrine, right? So these things are good. However, the most important thing to know about this text, rather than the timing of us figuring out it's going to happen this way, that way, that's important. But what's more important, and actually all Christians agree on, is when Christ returns, he's coming. That, or Sorry, that he's coming, that there is going to be a return. That when the Lord descends from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise from the earth, that's going to happen. 
And right after that, man, all of God's people who are alive will be raised with them. That is the important thing. The ordering of it, it's great. We need to discuss those things. But the important thing is to believe and know that there's going to be a day when all of us who are in Christ will be raised to newness of life. And, and those of us on earth will come just after that. So if Christ comes tomorrow, those of them you know that are in Christ, they're going to raise from the grave. And then right after that, we're going to meet the Lord in the air with them. And you might be like, man, this sounds like a fairy tale. Well, it is. It's amazing. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We should not all sleep. See, the same word, sleep. He's not dead. In other words, not all Christians are going to physically die. So he's saying some will be alive when Christ returns. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will, rot, will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. See, Paul's saying the same thing here. Those who have died in Christ before he returns and those who are alive in Christ when he returns, we shall be changed. That's what he's saying. That's the hope that we have. That one day there will be a resurrection. But you see, this is something of what Paul's getting at when he describes the return of Jesus. He says that the Lord is going to descend. Now this is fascinating when you look at it. He's going to descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with a voice of an archangel, with a sound of a trumpet. Man, this is amazing. This is profound. This is, when you just look at this, there's, there's even movies that have tried to depict this kind of thing. It's, it's going to be almost unbelievable how we, we see this. But what I love to point out is that, man, when you see Jesus, when he first came, when we celebrate on Christmas morning, Jesus came as a meek and mild and a baby in a manger and silent night, right, and all this different stuff. When Jesus comes, he's coming with humility and poverty, not much to look at, right? But that's not this. This is the opposite of this. Man, when Jesus returns, it's intensely dramatic truly breathtaking. He arrives with a trumpet blast, an announcement of battle. And Jesus is not only just a humble savior, he is beautiful as this truth is. He, he's a warrior king. Man, when he returns, the sound of his commanding voice is going to literally strike fear in the heart of hell. Why? Because, man, they will know that it's over. Death has been defeated. Sin is undone. And all of the brothers and sisters in Christ will be raised to life victoriously forever. It's unbelievable. Right now, I'm wrapping up a sermon for the next series in Revelation chapter 19. Go read it. Man, Jesus is riding in on a white horse and it depicts a sword out of his mouth, judging Satan and the powers against him. Man, it's going to be unbelievable right? So church, let's, let's anticipate the return of Jesus, and he's coming for us, and we're going to experience the elation, the joy of victory that will never uh, have been experienced before, looking forward that we will be raised, and all of those loved ones and the people you know that are in Christ will be raised. Uh, I can't say this enough in the world that you live in today. I spoke about missions trips in the beginning. When you go to another place, they're not, they look forward to this immensely because of what they're living in. I once had a conversation with a witch doctor in Haiti trying to share the gospel with them. He says, man, I've read the end of the, I've read the, end of the Bible. I know how it ends. I know I lose. 
He literally worshiped Satan. He says, but you know what? Right now, I live in hell. Right now. And Satan does powerful things for me right now, and God doesn't just do what I want him to, but Satan will if I serve him. You know, part of my struggle, my concern for our experience is that we live in one of the most prolific, wealthy, privileged world or countries in the known world ever. And it's really easy to get our eyes off of what truly matters because this literally seems like heaven to most of the world. There's a reason why people all over the world are trying to get here. And it can be very distracting because we're not looking forward to a day one day when we're with Christ and all things are made right because we're so distracted by the shiny objects of this world. Right? And I just want to tell you, your hope is not found when you get a raise and you start making more money. Your hope is not when you finally meet your spouse and your dreams are made true when you're able to get married and everything is right because marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. (laughs) Pray for Nicholas. Man, it's not when you get that new position at work and status. It's not when your favorite politician gets elected and your party is in power. That's not where our hope is. Looking to any of these things or other things will only leave us empty. It will never encourage our hearts and bring joy that only comes in Jesus, man. It's only found in Christ and what is to come and what we get to experience now in Christ. Remember, when Christ returns, it's when death is defeated. It's when you enter into life everlasting. That's what we're anticipating. That's what we're looking forward to. So, man, congregation today, people of God today, those of us joining online today, I'm calling us to lift our eyes higher than the shiny things of this world that give us hope and long for the anticipation that Christ is coming again. That it's only found in him. It's only in the Lord. It's only in his return when he defeats death and hell and Satan. And every tear will be wiped from your eye. And all wrongs will be made right. And all goodness will be brought manifest. So in verse 18, he lands the plane. How does the future resurrection resurrection impact us? It brings comfort. So he calls us to comfort one another with this reality. Look in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So he gives them the truth. He says, man, I want to correct some thinking, but encourage one another with these words. T- two things here. As he's finishing with the Thessalonians, therefore... And in light of the future hope of the resurrection, he says, encourage one another. So the word encourage here in the Greek, in actually a couple other translations, it's translated comfort. It can be translated really either, but the idea is the same here, that when men, when we lose someone on this earth, it's devastating. It's overwhelming, right? We walk through a lot of pain and suffering. And he says the idea is when we do that, when we walk through it, it, it can be painful and discouraging, right? But he says use these words to bring comfort and and encouragement to one another, right? What I love is that the the Apostle Paul doesn't highlight me in there, right? He he, he doesn't highlight the role of a pastor or a counselor or a therapist, which, man, all these things are great, 
and they're very helpful and useful in your life. Rather, instead, he highlights the role of the entire community. The mindset is this one another. He says, man, we as the people of God, we're called to do life with one another. If you're here today in church, and man, you don't know anyone in this church, and great, if it's your first week or you're new, we get that. But I'm just saying, if you've been here for a while and you slip in the back and you leave during the last song because you really don't want to know other people here, man, I just want to press on you. That's not the way of God. There's this one another that we should be walking together. And when life goes sideways like this, he says, man, use these words to encourage one another. It presupposes that you have one another, that we're doing life one with another, right? He, he says, notice as well, he says, encourage one another with these words. Man, I just want to encourage you in comforting one another. It's not empty phrases. Now, if you've said this, don't feel bad or convicted. There's nothing wrong with it, right? When someone, when someone passes, you know, or the loved ones are still here, and you say, man, they're in a better place. I hope that comforts you. Death's just a part of life. Cherish your moments with them. Not, none of that's wrong. That's just, that's, those are all good things. Those are positive things. But man, comfort one another from a, from a place of discouragement He's saying with these words, what words? What are the powerful words that are going to comfort you and I in the time of loss? It's, it's the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and the power of the, the gospel that Christ has been raised. And now one day, that loved one that you know is, is there in a casket but is actually absent from their body. One day, man, if they're in Christ, I just want to encourage you, you're going to see them again because they're in Jesus. That this isn't the end. The encouragement is that it's not over. There's no period. There might be a comma, but man, there's still more coming. That's the encouragement. I said earlier, last year was a tough year for my family. My extended family, right? My, my father passed away in August. And then, you know, that's, that's enough to walk through. It's a long road of years. My aunt, his sister, passed away two weeks later. Then just a couple months later, my, my wife's grandmother, the, the matriarch of the family, passed away in December. I mean, it's just a lot, right? And what, what, what comforts in all of that? The hope that in every one of those places, yeah, we, we grieved. But we didn't grieve as those who have no hope. The comfort in all of that was that this truth, the good news of the gospel, that there is coming a day when all of this will be made right and we will see them again in Christ Jesus. Man, our, our lives are broken. We're going to walk through death and loss. Man, we can't change that. Now, man, I want to tell you today, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial death and he rose from the grave victorious and he ascended to heaven where he is enthroned today and one day he will return and he will descend again with us and when he does, we will be raised with a regenerated body just like he has and we will experience life everlasting. That's the hope of the gospel. May you, as followers of Jesus, encourage one another with these things. So the question I just think that begs from the text in just the one moment I have this morning is this. Who are the fellow believers in your life who you're going to encourage when you walk through grief? Who are going to encourage you? 
Do you have followers of Jesus around you that are going to encourage you as you walk through these seasons? Sometimes we live so selfishly, we're like, man, well, I don't know. Maybe ask it another way. Who are the followers of Jesus, the believers in your life, who you are called to encourage, that you're close enough to, to encourage in their lives? And, and man, I'm not just talking about, man, I know so-and-so, they greet me at the top of the escalator or whatever when I walk in. But, man, I've learned over the years from just getting into the nitty-gritty of people's lives that you can think that everyone has it all together and they're doing just fine until one day they say, hey, pastor, can I meet with you? And you had no idea the travesties that they're walking through in life because we do a really good job of walking into church, putting on our church face. We just got done strangling our kid in the car and and, 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 and yelling at our spouse. And then we walk in. We're like, how are you doing? We're like, man, it's a great day. God bless you. <laughs> but but our, our lives are burning down around us. We're walking through grief and loss. I'm talking about that kind of knowing. Are, are, are you involved in people's lives that you actually know when things are happening? They don't even have to tell you. You just know. This is the way we are made to live, spiritual family. This passage assumes that these people are doing life one with another to encourage one another, not disconnected from other places. Man, this is why we push so much in our church groups that we do life together, know each other, walk with one another, that this isn't the end. This is one expression of the church, but there's a whole other expression for you to enter into. And man, if I can't compel us enough as well, that in this, this should compel us to move forward in evangelism, letting our neighbors and our networks and the people we know, the truth of the gospel, that they would be people that don't grieve as those who have no hope, that they would long for the coming of Jesus and they would be able to comfort you and you'd be able to comfort them that when they stand at a casket, when their loved one is gone or when they're gone, their family is hope. They have hope they're experiencing because they know Jesus. So what I ask at the beginning, what happens when we die or after we die? And I hope you know in the end, when Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised. And all is said and done, most Christians will be gone to sleep in death. Most of you probably won't be here. I won't be here unless Christ comes back before that. And the beautiful thing about referring to death in a kind of sleep is that, man, I don't know about you, when I fall asleep, I anticipate waking up. Maybe you're at the age where you just don't know anymore. I don't know. But I think most of us, when we go to sleep, we anticipate waking up, right? It's assumed. And this is the beauty of what Paul's using just in these words. As believers, we can assume the same thing even when we die. We sleep. And one day we're going to victoriously wake up again in Christ Jesus as our bodies are raised together with him. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for this morning, for your, the truth of your word that oftentimes seems uh, minute or even we read over it many times, but there's so much goodness in just what we read this morning, God. God, I know that there's people in this place today that are walking through the grief of a loved one recently passing or the anticipation of that happening or many years ago that happening, or just maybe their own life of like, man, what, what happens one day when I step into eternity? 
And so, God, we just we thank you for your text that encourages us, that it shows us what that looks like. And anyone here under the sound of my voice online, may you just press into them if they have never yet placed their faith and trust in you, Jesus, as their Savior and nothing else, believing that you are the one who you said you were, you rose victorious from the grave and confessing it with their mouth that today they would do so and today they would be found in Christ and one day they have no fear of death, that one day they would be present with you for all of eternity. So God, thank you for the truth of your word, for the gospel and what it means to each one of us. Hear our voices as we close out the service together in Jesus' name. Amen.